Well, good morning. Kids are going with Miss Abby, it looks like, today. So it's okay with your mom and dad. You guys can head that direction to the back. As the kids are leaving and going, going that direction, let's go to our Lord in prayer together. Lord God, we, um, we come before you today in worship and praise. As we continue our worship by turning to your word and seeking your instruction that we find in these pages, uh, Father, we, we know that, that we are in a battle against not just flesh and, not flesh and blood, but an enemy of principalities and powers that is of another world. And he would love nothing better than to distract us from praising you today. This enemy would love us to be distracted from your word. Um, and there's a lot of things in our lives that are vying for our attention. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to focus on what you say here. Help us to see what is written in the scriptures. And I, and I pray that our hearts would re be, be soft and that we would respond to you. I, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would show us where, where we are not conformed to your word, but we are living by um, living our own direction. We're leading our own hearts rather than letting you lead our hearts. And so uh, please teach us, we pray. Draw our attention to your throne and to your grace. And might Jesus be everything for us in this time. In his name we pray, amen. Well, we are now 190, 148 days away from the first caucuses in Iowa. It's your opportunity to say, this is the kind of leader that we're looking for. And so for over the next 148 days, you are going to re receive pre-recorded phone calls that are going to tell you all about leadership. And you are going to receive pamphlets in the mail with lots of bullet points telling you about a person's leadership. We also have leadership within the church. We elect deacons and elders and pastors who serve as leaders. We have leadership teams, which many of you are, are part of, and uh, you help in various ministries of the church. Um, presently, we, we have a few individuals who we've approached and have asked if they would be willing to serve as deacons, and in two months, our church will have our own kind of election. Also, there's many of you. You yourselves, you, you have positions of, of leadership in your workplace, in your home on your teams, the things that you do online, the groups that you're involved in. You know, leadership is, is something that we grapple with, isn't it? God has each one of us in a position where we lead other people in one way or another, and, and I think we grapple to know, you know what does it look like to lead others and, and to do so in a way that, that God would call us to? How, how do I become an effective leader? What are the qualities of a good leader? The Bible describes many leaders with all kinds of backgrounds, with various strengths, weaknesses, personalities, leadership styles. I mean, all you have to do is look at Moses, and you see a lot of unique strengths and very in, 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 intimidating weaknesses of his own. You, you turn the pages to Nehemiah, you, you go to Jeremiah and the kings, and you see all these variety of different leaders, many of them godly men, and, and they're so different from one another. And so there's all these different personalities and styles, and yet God raised them up to serve as leaders in their time to address challenges for which he had uniquely prepared them. 
people oftentimes find themselves in positions of leadership, but they've never fully thought through um, what the leadership what leadership is supposed to look like. They have a vague mental picture of certain characteristics, but oftentimes no clear concept of what a leader should be. Uh, we're going to look at leadership this next couple weeks today and, and next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to particularly look at some qualifications of a leader uh, that serve in the church. Uh, but what I want to encourage you to do as we, as we look at, at servant leadership and look at the, the leaders that God has called um, to, to lead in the church and in our lives, I, I want you to approach this from a couple, di- couple different directions. Because I know not everybody here is a, a leader within our church body, but, but you do serve in different capacities as a leader. And so the first thing I want to challenge you to do, rather than think of an individual that may be not doing their job or not doing it the way that you think they should do it, I want you to reflect on your own life and go, okay, where, where are the places that God has called me to lead others? And am I reflecting these characteristics that we're going to look at today? But then also, as we appoint leaders in our church, um, it's, it's important that we don't do that blindly. Uh, we, we, we can't just say, you know, I, I, I like this person, I like their personality, let's throw them in and just, just see how they're doing. It's our responsibility that as we elect leaders that we would evaluate, are these the kind of leaders that God has called? And, and so it's important also that we consider these passages from that light as well. You know, there, there have been... Never, there's never been a more perfect display of leadership, though, than in our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? Okay, that's awesome. Three of us who do agree on that. What, whatever your own leadership style might be, and, and there are many, whatever strengths you bring to the table, and we all bring different ones, no matter what baggage you carry with you, and we all do, if there's one leader that you can look to and imitate, I think we can all agree that it's, it's Jesus Christ. So here's our approach. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to turn to 1 Timothy, and we're going to look at some of the specific qualifications that God gives to us for those who serve as deacons in the church. And we're going to do that because we're going to be looking at some nomination, nominees for, for deacons in our church. But, but today, we will observe some patterns in the ministry of Jesus, and I'd like for us to consider some of the essentials that we ought to imitate as we lead others and also as we look for godly individuals to lead us. So if you're following current events, you, you're probably aware that the, the state fair is happening. Uh, everybody's flocking to Des Moines for the week. And over this past week, several leaders have been descending upon us. They're, they're looking uh, for their opportunity. They, they, they need to be seen. They need to address the masses. They need to have that moment that's caught on camera that goes viral. Um, if you turn to Mark chapter 1, verse 36 with me. Mark chapter 1, we find in the Gospels a, a similar opportunity that Jesus had. This was his state fear, if you will. It, it was an opportunity that Jesus had at the beginning of his ministry. And here we find a text where Jesus has his chance to be seen. This is this is the opportunity which he's, he's revealing himself. He's introducing who he is and what the kingdom is going to look like. And, and here we find a text where Jesus has his chance to be seen. And in fact, everyone is trying to make that opportunity happen for him. The people are looking for him. His disciples are almost acting as if they're his campaign managers. And if you look at verses 36 and 37, these verses show us what was happening with them. In verse 36 of chapter 1, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. 
And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Kind of an awkward situation, right? You know, we, we've lost the Messiah. We just found him yesterday, and, and, and now we lost him already. Where'd he go? You see, the day before this was, was enormous. The, the events that happened right before this was on a, a Sabbath. Jesus had gone into the synagogue, and he was asked to teach, to read the Scripture. And we're told that when he, when he did so, he, he astonished the people with his teaching at the synagogue. After which, he healed a man who had a, a withered hand. He went over to Peter and Andrew's home, and he, he healed their mother-in-law, who had been suffering from a fever. And then all that evening, Jesus healed people that came to the door. And so people were coming to the house in, in droves, and he, he stood at the door, and he was healing people. Verse 28 tells us that Jesus' fame spread out at once throughout the region. But then the next morning, I mean, this is the opportunity, right? If you're the Messiah, if you're going to come in and you're going to lead the world and show them the way that it's done, you would think that this would be the time to continue the momentum from the previous day, right? That's the way we think of leadership. That's the way we do things at the fair. But um, where's the Messiah? We find in verse 28 that his fame was spreading, but nowhere Jesus is nowhere to be found. And so where's Jesus? And the people are looking. What was the Messiah doing in these pivotal moments when he's going to direct the momentum for the next three years? If we go back to verse 35, it tells us. Rising very early in the morning, when it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I'd like to present to you the first principle of servant leadership is that godly leaders seek the Lord's face. Godly leaders seek God's face. Here's Jesus. I mean, this is the Son of God. If there's a leader to follow and imitate, this is it. But when any other leaders would have risen early in order to orchestrate the events of the day, to calculate with their staff the best way to uh, draw attention, how do we, how do we get that that uh, viral clip. How, much, how many hot dogs should I roast? How many people should I shake hands with? How many sh what should I do? What, what do we strategize? When all the other leaders of the world would have risen early in order to orchestrate the timing of their next appearance, Jesus chose rather to appear before the one person that mattered more than anyone else. Jesus chose to seek counsel from the one person who mattered more than anyone else, the Most High. And what we find is in Jesus' humanity, we, we, we know that Jesus is God, and so oftentimes we assume, well, Jesus wouldn't need to pray. He can just, you know, he's God. He can just do what he needs to do. But in his humanity, Jesus showed us that he was depending on the Holy Spirit. He was depending on God's strength and, and set this example for all of us, not just because he was setting an example, but because in his humanness, he was submitting everything to the other two members of the Trinity. His empowerment came from the Holy Spirit. His dependence came upon from his Father. Godly leaders also serve first by going to their Lord in prayer. I, I love Jesus' response to Peter in verse 38, though. You see, having spent the morning in prayer, and he had the discernment to understand what comes next. And when all the disciples were saying, hey, the crowds are waiting, let's, let's head back, let's go heal a few more people, let's get you out in the, in the middle of, of 
where everybody can focus on what you're doing and who you are. Jesus' response is completely different than that. Having spent this whole morning in prayer, he discerns what needs to come next, and, and what we're told is he, he didn't return with the disciples to the town where the people were waiting. Instead, he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You see, because his ministry was operated under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and because he was seeking discernment from the Lord rather than from the crowds and from his followers, Jesus continually understood what the priorities were because his priorities were coming from his heavenly Father. And I'd like to propose to you that if you want to, to lead others, you need to have discernment. And if you want to have discernment, you must seek the Lord's face. Luke 5.16 also describes Jesus and his response uh, to the constant pressures of ministry uh, in a similar passage. Listen to what Luke says. Luke chapter 5, verse 16. We're going to be jumping all over the Gospels today, so, so get ready for that. Luke 5.16, we're, we're, we're told, um, I'm going to start in verse 15. He says, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And, and so this isn't just a one-off. This, this isn't just, you know, hey, I'm starting the ministry, I'm initiating things, let's, you know, let's start this with prayer and then let's move on to everything else that I need to do. That, that it was something that he was constantly doing in, in the midst of all the hustle and the bustle and, and the needs of everyone around him. Jesus was always finding a, a place that was withdrawn, that was quiet, in which he could get alone and he could pray. This early morning ritual in Mark chapter 1, uh, it, it happens again and again. Luke indicates that this was Jesus' normal practice. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16 describes Jesus' activity as a leader immediately before he chooses his innermost group of followers. And we're told that he'd gone out to a mountain to pray all night before he came down in the morning and he chose the 12. If you jump over to John chapter 12, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to be all over here for a second, but John 12, 27 to 30 describes Jesus at a critical decision point as he chose to move forward to the cross. And he spent time in prayer before he did that. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46, describes Jesus in his hour of deepest anguish and the way that he expressed and, 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 and how he led his disciples in that time. And in the way that he expressed that anguish and his leadership in those moments, at this pivotal moment of history, he fell to his knees and he prayed all night long the night before he went to the cross. He was on his knees seeking the Father's face. Jesus continually understood the priorities because he was a leader who prayed. And I'd like to suggest to you that if you want to lead, whether it's within the context of the church as a deacon, elder, a pastor, if you're part of one of the ministry teams that, that lead over our fellowship ministry or our worship ministry, if you're part of one of those teams, if you want to lead others and, and you want to have discernment in the things that you do and the things that you uh, initiate and the things that you lead others, you first need to be a person that is seeking the Lord's face. Matthew 9, 36 tells us of another fundamental element of Jesus' leadership. 
Listen to what we learn of Jesus' example there. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to start in verse 35. says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching there in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on, for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Over the past several weeks, we looked at the book of Ruth, and we've been looking at various passages of uh, points in our Lord's ministry and his life. And, and we've been talking about this concept of chesed, uh, of God's grace, of, of God's loving kindness, and the loving kindness that we must show with, towards one another. This chesed was lived out in the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz as they all demonstrated this loving kindness, this faithfulness to one another. Jesus showed this loving kindness to his disciples and to the whole world. A godly leader must be an individual who shows compassion, and compassion is one of the first steps of chesed, of grace, of loving kindness. Now, and by, by this, though, I, I don't mean that we need to be the kind of leaders that show compassion when the cameras are on. That, that's easy to do, isn't it? We, we, we're very cognizant of when other people are looking. I remember working at, at, the, at one of the restaurants, and we were Christmas was coming up, and the, uh, the leadership in this restaurant all sat down. We decided, you know, what are we going to do in these months? What are some ways that we can, we can be reaching out into the community? And so they put together some program where we, we helped a lot of poor kids in the area. And, uh, and we all went out and, and went shopping with them. And there were gift certificates. And, and it, was, it was a fun experience and, and a, a cool opportunity. But, but I, I, I'll never forget the next part of the conversation. The, the plan was made, the, the, the group that we were going to work with was, was put out there, and then the next question, and really the dominant part of the conversation was, okay, now how do we advertise what we're going to do so that everybody can see what our restaurant's done? You see, compassion is, is easy when other people are looking, and, and when it benefits us. And so... I don't mean that we, we must be the kind of leaders that show compassion only when the cameras are on, but the compassion that Jesus showed was a genuine demonstration of his heart for people. Not, not something to get votes, not something to get attention, not something to get the accolades of others. His acts of compassion were intentional, and they were a reflection of his genuine love for the individual even the individuals who normally aren't seen. Matthew 14, 14 describes a later event where Jesus also had compassion on the crowds. Uh, we read this passage in recent weeks and saw the events of that chapter. Um, and they came in one of the darkest days of Jesus' life. It, it was the day that John the Baptist was beheaded. And Jesus sought to, were told to get away with his disciples to find a, a desolate place. But the people just kept following him wherever he went. Verse 14, as we looked at the other day, says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. And then at the end of this very long day, this was the occasion that he fed the 5,000. After he fed the 5,000, he sent the disciples off on the boat. And what did Jesus do? He saw all the people off, and then he, he went back up the mountain, and he prayed. And so he's praying again, even in the midst of this. 
And then after that, after, in the middle of the night, Jesus, we're told, went out on the water. This is the occasion where he walks on the water. Peter jumps out, starts walking too, and then sinks. And all this is happening on that same day. And then Jesus calms the sea. My, my friends, there will be times when the pressures of life will cause you to long for just a little bit of isolation. We all need to withdraw from the busyness of ministry from time to time. Je Jesus did. However, in your ministry as a leader, there will be times when your own personal needs are going to be interrupted by people. Your needs are going to be interrupted by the people that God has called you to serve. And Jesus demonstrates that not only do godly leaders seek God's face, but godly leaders show genuine, real compassion for others. And thirdly, we need to understand that godly leaders are servant leaders. You know, leadership and service are, are two words not often put together. And we, we talk about those words together, but we rarely see those words being implemented together, right? We, we talk about public servants, and most often uh, when public servants are seeking leadership, what they're expecting is not necessarily that they're going to lead publicly and ser serve publicly as they lead, but that others are going to serve them as they lead. It, it's rare that our leaders truly understand genuine servant leadership. Leaders around the world aspire to, to greatness in one form or another. And, and this is certainly the case for the 12 disciples whom Jesus was training. And so as, as we look at this last thing, I'd like us to turn to Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, we find this classic passage in which Jesus teaches the 12 what godly leadership looks like. There's a parallel passage over in Luke while you're turning to Mark. In Luke, he tells us quite plainly that after Jesus had explained his suffering and his resurrection to the 12, Luke tells us that they, they understood none of these things. I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to die. What are you talking about? I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. What, what do you mean? They just didn't, they didn't get it. They, they thought he was, you know, things were figures of speech, you know, this talk of resurrection and death, and they just didn't understand these things. They understood none of these things, Luke says. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. And that becomes very evident when you look at what happens in Mark. It becomes obvious that they didn't get it. When we read that two of the disciples, very soon after this, look at what they did. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. Have you ever had somebody ask you that? Will, will, will you do something for me? Whatever I ask. Now, now Jesus is smart. We, we know that already, but we see it here. Jesus is smart. He doesn't give them a blank check, right? And so verse 36, he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Now, there's some good news with this, right? Don't, don't miss the good news that's happening. What, what's good happening here? I mean, Jesus just said, I'm going to die. And their faith is, is unwavering. Okay? So that, that's good. <laughs> they, they, they're, they're pretty confused about the timing of the kingdom. They're pretty confused about what Jesus means by resurrection from the dead and, and going to Jerusalem and some of the things that he says are going to happen. Uh, and they're a little confused about when these positions of great authority 
are going to actually happen. But if we can say one thing for John and James, their faith has not wavered. But, but still, their, their timing for asking this question is pretty horrible. And, and it shows us the, the self-centeredness, the pride. Matthew also tells us, again, in another parallel passage, that their mother was the main person doing the asking for her boys, um, though they're definitely in on the whole scheme as you look at these three passages together. In verse 38, though, it says, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? That, that was his way of saying, are, are you ready to go through the same kinds of suffering that I am going to go through? And remember, he, he just told them on the way to Jerusalem that he's going there to die. Are you guys ready to experience the same things I'm going to go through? And they said to him in verse 39, we're able. We're in. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. We know that James is going to be one of the first martyrs of the Christian church. Uh, within 10 years, he's going to be beheaded. So he does drink from the same cup that Jesus drinks. At one point, he will, uh, John, is, uh, John is going to be, live a, a long life. He lives longer than any of the other apostles. But he is going to, to come to know suffering over that time. At one point, we were told that he, he survived being doused with boiling oil. Uh, he went through all kinds of things. He was exiled to the island of Patmos. These two men are going to learn suffering, Jesus says. But he defers to his heavenly Father's will regarding who is rewarded positions of great privilege like the ones that they're asking for. Now, having said that, he's going to turn his attention to teaching them about a lesson, an important lesson about servant leadership. I don't know about you, but um, I, I don't like waiting in lines. Do you? They're just so fun, right? You know, at least at amusement parks, they put all these fun things for you to look at, you know, and you interact with things. But just lines are boring. They take up time. There's so many things to do. I, I hate lines. Even worse, we generally get really annoyed when other people cut in line. Uh, isn't there just something in your heart when that happens? You, you look at it and go, Really? You know, I, I, I've been waiting here for an hour, and, and, and you just bypass 45 minutes, and, and, and that pride takes hold in your heart, and you start thinking, you know, what about me? How dare that person? Well, that's basically what John and James just tried to do. They, they cut in line, and, and the others catch wind of it. And, and we're specifically told they were not happy because well, quite honestly, they also were very self-centered and wanted to get their peace. Some of them are probably going, why didn't I ask that? Verse 41 says, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. The, the, that word indignant, it's, it's not, man, they were, they were just a little bit, you know, they grumbled a little bit. No, they're indignant. That word, that, these guys are furious. They're like, are you kidding me? Really, this is just happening? 
And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, this isn't just John and James, but all the disciples, all the twelve, you know, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you remember one verse from the entire book of Mark, okay, if you're reading through the book of Mark and there's one verse that you can remember, Mark 10.45 is the one that you need to remember. This is the key verse for the whole gospel. This is, this is Mark's thesis statement that everything else leads to. The disciples were all very concerned about serving themselves, as John and James just illustrated for us. But Jesus, he says to them, he says, my friends, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what we find here is that Jesus is the greatest servant. And he sets the example for all of them in this statement. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus uses this opportunity to turn their views regarding leadership upside down. And should turn our views of leadership upside down. In fact, what Jesus does, he actually disqualifies the normal model of leadership. How did, how did Jesus define great leadership in the, to his disciples? Uh, did you catch that? He, he actually uses the word great. Wh whoever would be great among you. This is what great leadership looks like, guys. If you want to be a great leader, Jesus tells you right here. He defines great leadership with servant leadership. It doesn't matter what your leadership style is, because all of you are going to have different styles of leadership that you're going to bring to things. You can go le read Leadership Magazine, and it's going to tell you about the, the top qualities of what you need to be and, and, and how you need to do this and that and orchestrate that and this. And, but if there's one thing you need to understand is that great leadership comes down to this. It's defined by servant leadership. Jesus is worthy of all worship, all honor, power, and authority. He's God. And yet, how does he describe his own objectives and purpose in verse 45? The one that could have claimed it all, the one that could have demanded it all, the one that could have just shut John and James up and said, you guys are idiots. I'm the one that you need to serve. He didn't go there. He himself came to serve. He came to give his life as a ransom for us, the ones who follow him. I'd like to turn to one last passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. We're told that Jesus, who, through, who though, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' model of servanthood is described here perhaps more profoundly than anywhere else, especially as the passage contrasts his perspectives uh, with the glory that he truly deserved. I mean, he could have asked for it all. But he gave up heaven to become a man, and then that obedience was lived out to the point that he died on a cross. Jesus' view of godly leadership must impact your positions of leadership. Here at the church, in your family, in your workplace, anywhere. Let's go backwards and read verses 1 through 5 where the apostle commands the Philippians about the mind that they were also supposed to have. Look at what led to that conversation about Jesus' leadership and service. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, which in Philippians he's just basically said you have all those things. And so if you have all these things in verse 1, and the insinuation is you do, you have these things in Christ. So if, then, yes, we do have them. Then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who verse 6 and following. Next week, we're going to look at some particular qualifications for some of the offices of leadership within the church. But before we get there, we need to understand from the priorities that were displayed in our own, Lord, our own Lord's life that his view of leadership is different from the view of leadership that the world has. Godly leaders seek the Lord's face. Godly leaders are men and women of prayer. Godly leaders show compassion and are men and women who genuinely care for those that God has placed under their care. And godly leaders are servant leaders who place a value on their own lives and place a value on the lives of others. And they count others more significant than themselves. So here's just a couple takeaways for us. You know, first, I, I know that there are some of you who are still wrestling with the idea of following Jesus. And you still haven't turned to Jesus. You, you hold on to your sin and, and you haven't changed your mind about it yet. And therefore, you've not believed on his son. I plead with you to know the Savior. Consider the Savior and, and, and what he's done for you. Consider that the Savior considered you. He considered you and he placed a value on you such that he reckoned you more significant than himself to the extreme that he went to the cross on your behalf. And I know that some of you are still trying to prove yourselves to him to achieve something that you can call your own and that you can offer him 
but but you have to understand that scripture tells us that all of our filthy works are, all of our filthy works all of our works all of your good works especially the filthy ones but all the good works all the things you went that, that you go Whew, look at me wasn't this great god look at this the bible describes those as filthy rags rags that are irreparable you, you throw them in the trash because they can't be used for anything anymore. There's nothing. There's nothing that I can offer him. And what you need is the righteousness that Jesus offers you through faith in him. Jesus is the leader that you need, that your heart is desperately crying out for. Jesus is the leader that you've been looking for, but you must decide what you will do with him. Secondly, it's important that we consider these qualities of godly leadership because all of us play a role in one place or another. In choosing, excuse me, all of us play some role in choosing the leadership that, that we follow, actually. Let me go there first. Uh, all of us choose leaders, okay? Starting with the caucuses and all that. You're going to choose leaders in, your, in society. You're going to vote on people that lead your country, your county, your state. You're going to have those decisions as you choose leaders in church. Some of you are looking forward to getting married someday. And you're going to have to think, who do I want to spend the rest of my life with here? And this person is going to lead me. Don't, don't choose, make that decision blindly or unwisely. We need to consider our Lord's example and we need to choose wisely in the, the leaders that we, we put ourselves under. But finally, there, there's, there's some of you who are considering positions of leadership, and many of you who are in positions of leadership in your different places like work and, and church and in society itself. Uh, some of you have been asked to serve as deacons, or perhaps you're already serving in one of the area, various ministry teams of our church. Uh, all, of us are, are, all of us will consider these qualities of leadership, and, and you're going to find these, and you go, wow, I'm so lacking there. Um, you look at Jesus and, and how he lived all these things out, and we fall so, so short of that. But my prayer for you is that you will choose and that you will pursue servant leadership, even as you follow the Son of God who gave his life as a ransom. Might that be the kind of leadership that we strive for as we serve others around us, as we pray for those that God has put into our lives and as we genuinely show compassion towards those that God has entrusted to our care. Father in heaven, we, we do thank you for the life that Jesus lived, the teachings that he gave to us. Um, I, I think we all, at one point or another, we, Lord, we struggle with this idea of leading others and, and, and what that looks like. I know for me, I, I remember getting married and trying to figure out how, how do I be a leader to my family. But I found myself fail, failing in so many places. I, I know all of us struggle with that. We all try to identify what a leader is supposed to be and what that's supposed to look like. But Lord, I thank you that you've given us not only instruction regarding this in your word, but also examples of it. And so I, it's my prayer that each one of us would not just look at others and, and that we would criticize the leaders in our lives, and see how far they fall short in these areas. But Lord, that we would each reflect on our, ourselves. Help us to see where we need to grow as people of prayer. 
the people that seek your face. Please show us how we need to be people who demonstrate real compassion and show us where we've hardened our hearts towards those that you've called us to serve. And Father, I do pray that you teach us true and genuine servant leadership. Help us to be more like Jesus as we live out his word this week. Amen.